What's happening, guys? Welcome to The Daily Show. I am Clay with Block Bites. We have one heck of a show for you today. The world is rallying against the US dollar, but could that be good for Bitcoin? Airdrop hunting it is a thing during the bear market. We're going to break some of that down. The Arbitrum Dow drama continues and SushiSwap was hacked. And we're going to explain exactly what happened. Stay right here. Let's get in the show. Mikey, bring us in. What's up, Corval? How you doing, buddy? Happy Monday. Uh, yeah, I'm doing great, man. Thanks for asking. I'm at the Temple of the Golden Pavilion in uh, Japan. I was re- I'm reading this Mishima book about it. It's pretty good. That's cool, man. That's uh, yeah. look how cool I, it looks, dude. It's all I'm, gold and shit. I'm a little I'm a little jealous that you get to uh, diversify your background. So I might, like maybe I'll have to switch to the green screen. I don't know. No, I do have to pay a price. Like I'm always like fading in and out of existence. I'm losing my <laughs> arm. You can't even see it. <laughs> hey, that's right. You're armless. Oh uh, man, as always, uh, quite the weekend. All kinds of uh, all kinds of stuff going on. I think we got a ton to talk about today. An exciting show, and uh, yeah, man, I'm I'm I am as always stoked. It's uh, it's always uh, fun to get up on Monday and figure out exactly how we're going to lead in the week. But you know, hopefully, mm-hmm. this is the one stop shop to uh, to stay up to date on all you need to know every single day, live at noon. So thank you to the fam who tunes in and. Uh, Go retweet our tweet. Let people know what's going on. And uh, what do you say? You want to get into it? Yeah, man. Let's get into it. There's a lot of things that happened over the weekend. Gang, gang, my friend. So we got a pretty loaded show. Like I said, we're going to do some market watch. We're going to talk about airdrop hunting, Sushop hack. There's all kinds of stuff to uh, to chat through. But I think we got to got to start where we we usually do, which is uh, mm-hmm. a, little, a little look at, at Bitcoin. And uh, so, you know, we're we're we've like we've been battling 28.5 it's it's basically you know that's where we are at this point and it's still where we've been we've talked about 25 to 30k for what feels like a couple weeks now um and we've seen some nice hourly candles um over the last two hours uh but this you know you can see back here starting um you know like april 23rd so um you know a, a bit ago or excuse me, the, the 5th of April of twenty of 2023. Uh, we continued the battle for 28.5 and we broke through it temporarily and then and then broke down. Um, and so, you know, I think, you know, it's it's probably less about how do we, you know, where are we with Bitcoin at 28.5 and more about talking about what what could, you know, what catalyst could we see to break through that? Uh, and I think that's probably what we can chat about today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to me, it's it's all eyes on Bitcoin dominance. I mean, that's really what this comes down to, right? We've talked about it on, on many shows. And let me, let me. Uh, I think I'm I'm sharing a tab and not a, a window. So let me fix that real quick. Um, but you know, as as we've said many times, um, you know, Bitcoin B- Bitcoin rallying and then crabbing and rallying and then crabbing is a good thing, uh, assuming that Bitcoin dominance doesn't break these key levels. Because if you're an altcoin holder. You're not going to see any love. Like Bitcoin can rally, but nothing's going to happen with altcoins except for continuing to bleed against Bitcoin. Um, so if we look at these key key areas of resistance, and let me zoom in uh, a tiny bit here. So key areas of resistance. So you know we, we've we've called out 48 
um, as really a major area of resistance for Bitcoin dominance and and a multiple series of, re of rejections, you know, dating back to 2021, uh, 2022. And really, we haven't seen, uh, you know, since we'd have to go way back in time to see Bitcoin dominance get up to, to 50 or, or 52. Um, and we haven't seen that, you know, dating back to 2021. So what we'd like to see is is Bitcoin crab gain strength, you know, keep hitting uh, 48 and then and then lose dominance and let the altcoin market run a little bit. Um, I'm not sure that's what's going to happen this time. Like I'm not as confident as I have been in previous cycles because of the macro and the um, uh, because of the macro environment that we're in and because of the regulatory environment we're in. Like I could see Bitcoin be, you know, being a, a safe haven asset like gold, like silver. Um, and continuing to gain dominance against alts, and so that's kind of what you know. If, if I'm if I'm keeping an eye on things in terms of you know, I'm holding an altcoin bag. What can I expect? Like this chart is is really pivotal to that, uh, and so you can see that we're sitting you know right at that that key resistance level that we've we've seen in 21 and 22, uh, and so what happens from here? And that's kind of what you know. I think we can we can talk about uh, you know in a second. Um, okay. Looking at the altcoin market, I mean, I say all of that like the top 100 is doing pretty well on the day, uh, even with you know Bitcoin moving up. Um, interestingly, there's other alts that aren't doing so well. Like if we zoom out and like the, like look, we talked about I think two on on Wednesday, I believe, about altcoin rotation, like the rotation of of capital from Bitcoin to phase two of Ethereum to phase three of the top 100, like the you know the major market caps, what you're looking at. Um, and then into sub caps or micro caps. So like the alts of the alts. So like the uh, you know, the altcoins that are on optimism or, 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 or phantom or whatever layer one or two you'd like to, to choose. Um, and so we're seeing pretty good strength from the top 100. And, and, and I kind of said that would happen if we see Bitcoin continue to rally because Ethereum is actually doing pretty decent against Bitcoin as of late. And so this doesn't shock me. Uh, it is the, the micro caps that uh, are a bit more of a, a, a toss up and, and they don't look terrible either, but it's still something that I'm keeping an eye on Yum. the, you know, I've got a, a decent amount of alts on phantom and they've actually been bleeding against Bitcoin. Uh, so it really depends on kind of the chain you're on and the token you're holding. But those are things that I, uh, I'm certainly keeping an eye on. Um, and it's for me, it's like all eyes on this Bitcoin dominance chart as we continue to to either move up uh, in Bitcoin price or get rejected at twenty eight five. Uh, so I'm going to leave it there. Any any questions on that? I think we can open a discussion around it more so than anything. Yeah, no, I'm ready to to talk about what could possibly uh, move money into Bitcoin. Um, cool. I know we have. Uh, in our topic here, we have uh, some talk about the savings rate. It seems like people are not uh, like don't have a big appetite for risk at the moment, especially with things as they develop, you know, geopolitically and all that. Uh, a lot of people are kind of scared. Yeah, I mean, and and for good reason. We can, uh, you know, I think we'll, I, I think we can break this up in like two segments. One, like, what's a possible catalyst for Bitcoin to do well, even okay. given the macro and regulatory environment, and then and then kind of. Segway topic two is like, where are we in the bear market? Is this is this recession territory versus, you know, um, you know, just sort of the bear market in general, which is what we, you know, as inflation began to rise and the Fed was doing their thing with rate hikes and probably may continue for a bit. I, I would call that the, the beginning of a, a bad bear market. Eventually, mm -hmm. the bear market starts to, you know, 
transition itself into recession and then we're on the back end of something which you know could take i'm not sure how long but we transition into hopefully better you know better times ahead and so we can probably skip over this this particular chart of like what has bitcoin done in april but you know for those watching obviously you can see it's been a mixed bag um, this is comparable market to 2019, which a lot of people like to draw that comparison based on Bitcoin's price movements. And we could have a good April. As of right now, we haven't really done much. Uh, and if you're listening to this in some kind of podcast form, uh, it's about half and half as as to how Bitcoin has performed in April. So we'll, we'll kind of leave the actual Bitcoin price movements there. Uh, and let's talk about catalysts for Bitcoin, if there is such a thing, right? So okay. um, I think the... <laughs> The most notable one is is the absolute rally of international countries against the dollar. Mm -hmm. Like going back to the beginning of the war in Ukraine, the sanctions that were put in place against Russia were really supposed to cripple Russia uh, economically in order to, um, you know, slow slow their ability to to fight the war. Right. That was mm -hmm. that was the point of the sanctions. There were a lot of critics that said. These sanctions aren't going to actually hurt Russia in many ways if they can continue to have uh, continue to make money on oil. And so why are you imposing these brutal sanctions if there's an alternative way that they can make money? And this could backfire. That was that was really like the the critics uh, point on the sanctions on Russia. I would say that, like, how hard it backfired, like, I, I don't think that it could have been foreseen what we're showing here in this this summary of the backfire against the US dollar on a, on a global perspective. Like does that does that make sense like in terms of where we started to to what we're seeing now? Yeah, so I think a lot of people did call it pretty early that the sanctions against Russia were not going to be uh as successful as they have been in the past. Uh an interesting way to think about sanctions is it's kind of like the modern version of a siege like laying sea like you know in the, in the old days when you'd surround a city and block them out that's kind of what you're trying to do you're trying to cut out their ability to import and export you know so obviously a lot of differences but you're really putting a lot of pressure on the people local to those countries and what we're seeing i think is uh yeah it's it's a natural progression it makes sense like blocking Vene putting sanctions on cuba is different than putting sanctions on you know russia it's yeah. a bigger beast it's a lot more self-sufficient and has you know proximity to sympathetic nations that well, you know Cuba, i mean venezuela do not so so yeah the cuba rush comparison obviously two completely different types of economies mm -hmm. the bigger beast point is like it wasn't necessarily a bigger beast like the idea of trading in the petrodollar so so oil trading in the us dollar was was supposed to be the crippling point of the sanctions but what happens if that backfires and people say, you know what? Like we're tired of the U.S.'s, you know, BS. Like we don't, we don't, we don't have to trade in your your currency as the dominant global currency. And that, mm -hmm. and that is where the the danger and what happened with those sanctions became a reality. Uh, and I don't think that we saw the increasing speed of how how quickly that would be a reality. Uh, just I I don't know if it could have been foreseen. So reading a few things in this tweet. So ten trillion asset manager BlackRock, Paris headquarters taken over by protesters. Uh, like where's some on, on the actual, um, the actual us dollar itself. I mean, uh, Chinese replaces us dollar becoming the most traded currency in Russia. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's uh, a huge one. Trump says our currency is crashing and will no longer soon, no longer be the world standard. He also tweeted world war three, just, <laughs> just the, the term world war three. Um, 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think for all of our sakes, we certainly hope not. But like, I know over the weekend, Macron from from France basically said they would like to reduce their their dependence on the U.S. dollar. Like that is a that's a really bad sign, considering uh, that is a complete allied nation of the United States. So yeah, um, I think an important thing to remember here. I watched the Zihan video; he was really good. You guys should watch Zihan if you have any. He's, he's an interesting guy, Peter Zihan. Uh, he was talking about he, he brought up a good point that a lot of people seem to forget is that nations will act in their best interests. Like the idea that, you know, our allies like owe us this debt, it doesn't really matter to the people running those nations, right? And uh the France especially is well known for doing their own thing. Uh the re one of the reasons we went off of the gold standard was because the initial, you know. Uh, Bretton Woods established the U.S. dollar as the means of exchange, but it was supposed to be backed by the, by gold, right? But what we found was that, uh, like during the Nixon years, I guess, whenever we went off the gold standard, France was just buying, like building a huge gold reserve, or just redeeming all their dollars for gold to just mass a massive gold reserve, and it was destabilizing the currency. So we were like, well, we can't do that anymore because they're just going to game us like this. Um, so France has historically been a fucking troublemaker. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm, I, you know, so like to me, mm -hmm. obviously, like being so, so you're right, like in terms of, you know, historically, um, them, them sort of like moving it their own in their own way. But, but to me, like the inception of BRICS, like the BRICS nations, uh, you know, things like, um, Russia and India abandoning, abandoned Europe dominated oil price, agree to use Dubai oil price benchmarks, like all of this is, uh, a catalyst off of the sanctions, and and I don't think that we we saw how hard the blowback was going to be. Uh, we're we're obviously on a crypto podcast talking about you know the U.S. dollar losing dominance or strength. Like, how is that tied to crypto? Like, why would that actually matter? Um, I think is the question. So there's there's a lot of things. To, like, there's there's so many things happening in terms of the U.S. dollar and and um, either allied nations or those who are not attempting to move off of it. That I think that. Like, what do you think the ultimate outcome of that is? So I think that what, you know, this really means is just like a breakup of the current international trading order, right? So I think a potential positive for Bitcoin could be if we see smaller nations continue to adopt Bitcoin as their method of value transfer so that they can kind of break out of the, the dollar dominance. Because the thing about, you know, switching to the Chinese yuan, it's like we're just putting yourself under their thumb now um and a lot of nations you see are doing that like african nations especially because of like the heavy chinese investment um but if you really wanted to go your own way you would go to something like bitcoin like not completely dominated by a central bank in a foreign country uh really quick i want to address this uh comment someone asked if we're gonna cover the re revoke approvals we're gonna get to that towards the end of the show yep yeah, 100%. So Blue Diesel, can you guys talk about the whole revoke token topic that keeps coming up? Yes, we absolutely can. And actually, we've got a really good solution for you already pre-made. So we'll definitely talk about that. Uh, it is going to be the end of the show when we talk about Sushi Swap and, and what happened there. Mm -hmm. um, so so to kind of round this out, um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't like what's going on in the macro economy uh, globally. I think that um, the Fed, you know, if we go back to sort of what happened this past week, um, and we're going to talk about, you know, the credit to debt ratio of individual households 
Um, but you know, right here, number 16, Fed officials say Federal Reserve will need to raise interest rates above 5%, hold them there for a while. Uh, don't love that. Um, so, you know, uh, it's, it begins the conversation of, of, of bear market versus recession. And we can talk about that, but to, to put a cap on this, um, trading in other currencies, but besides the U S dollar means that the, you know, the U S dollar loses dominance, loses strength, loses momentum, uh, in the global markets. Fine. Uh, we've talked about the Dixie many times on this show, and I previously have pulled up this chart of where the Dixie is now and, and the potential move it could see if there is a, you know, a flee from the U.S. dollar into other currencies. And the question is, if there is such, you know, if that does happen, that, that becomes reality. Does that become, uh, does, does that make risk on assets more appetizing or does that mean there's a, a flock into uh, stable assets or semi-stable assets like gold, like silver, like Bitcoin. And so that I think is probably like, if you're, if you're looking for a silver lining in any of this, it's if the U S dollar loses strength, um, there could certainly be money that's currently tied up in dollars because it is a safe haven compared to, uh, you know, risk on, you know, equities, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and the bond market is not performing well at all either. So Bitcoin could benefit from that. Uh, and that's what I think is probably the biggest potential catalyst as a positive uh, based on all of this, this um, you know, flight from the U.S. dollar we're seeing from from global nations. Yeah. Well, an, an important thing to remember, too, I hate to be like, uh, I'll take kind of like the opposite argument here. That's a little bit scary. I said that, yes, yeah, smaller nations might transition. But what you're seeing is that if nations want to exercise more control over their monetary policy, they're probably going to take more hostile stances to fleeing to a third party system like bitcoin right like if if they want to really control and own like their their monetary policy they're not going to be too happy about citizens like leaving in mass for for bitcoin um i mean that's what we're seeing in america i think i think that's the policy we're seeing we're trying to shore up our control of our monetary policy but i mean isn't that the beautiful promise of bitcoin like like obviously may, nations may not love the fact that that citizens would flee to uh, a safe haven asset like Bitcoin, but that is the entire purpose it was made. Like, like yeah. if if the dollar can lose strength, like so, there's a complete invo inverse correlation between Dixie strength, which is the chart you're looking at, uh, versus Bitcoin. And so, if we can if we can actually see dominance begin to fall, then that is a good thing for Bitcoin. And that's honestly one of the one of the few bright spots that I can pick out in this uh, in this um, ongoing and and rapidly growing narrative of let's get off the U.S. dollar. Um, so that's that's sort of where I, I take this personally. Um, and yeah, so I think it's something to watch. So, I mean, just to put a to put a bow on this, uh, Bitcoin dominance is is the chart that to me is uh, is something that I'm going to be absolutely paying attention to because we're at key levels here. Uh, and then does the dollar get rejected kind of in a similar fashion to what I've got pulled up on the screen here uh, up around one oh three and a half and then and then fall to the 200 week moving average down to like 97, which would be very good for Bitcoin. So that's probably the positives I can take from that. Uh, I think that, you know, we talked about the bear market, particularly on Friday. If you haven't seen the episode of Across the Chains we did at noon on Friday, I would you know highly recommend it. It was a really interesting discussion uh, with a little bit smaller crowd about where are we in, in the bear market cycle. Um, and you know, so I think I, I pull up this tweet uh, because I think it's time to start talking about the start of the bear market versus actually being in a recession. Uh, and and for me. Um, this caption says it all. So big picture, 
ISM 46, so manufacturing contraction in prints below 45 equals recession always the past 70 years, set to be confirmed by rising unemployment in coming months and commercial real estate constriction. And so we talked about kind of all of those things um, on uh, on across the chains. But, you know, again, if you're if you're listening to this in podcast form, um, it, it's effectively, uh, you know, manufacturing contraction and, and a chart that shows that once we drop below a certain level, um, we are in a recession. And it looks like we are certainly heading that direction, very similar to what we saw in 2007, 2001, and then again, the, the COVID crash of, of, of 2020, effectively. Uh, and so I think the, the narrative is, for me, is starting to shift from, from bear market to recession. And, and that's honestly, uh, you know, it's in some ways, it's a good thing because as you enter recession, then, then hopefully the Fed can do what they need to do over the next couple of months to to figure out like at some point things have broken so much that the fed has to pivot you, you cannot stay in a recession for an extended period of time or, or everyone absolutely suffers and and i think that you know we're we're seeing people absolutely suffer uh and so i don't know you know what are your what are your thoughts on that like that that's where i personally think that we are transitioning to at this time yeah so I saw the unemployment numbers were the lowest, like at a new low today. Like, um, so we've still got time for suffering to kick in. If if that prediction is true, that we're going to see unemployment rise dramatically. Um, and yeah, you're, you're right. We can't just be sitting in a recession for forever, but yeah, it still has yet to hit really. A recession is marked by what multiple quarters of contraction and yeah, GDP, GDP decline. Yep. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we've yet to really. I think there was like a, a wasn't it like last year or during the pandemic, the economy contracted, but I think that was global. So we still have yet to see a contraction as a result of uh, the policy yet. So, well, we did we did see a contraction in Q4. So GDP did decline in Q4, and then it rebounded in Q1. Um, so it's been a bit all over the place. So indicators, I think, were were are, are mixed. Um, but uh, you know, if you if you look at like there's you know there's other things that I'm keeping an eye on and, and have been for a while. And if you look at like the household numbers of debt, basically uh, credit to debt. And so, how how much is the average household suffering? And and you know and what does credit to debt mean for the larger market? Right. So, the average American is saving just 3.7 percent of their income, the lowest since 2007. June 2022 marked the fourth lowest savings rate in history at just 2.7%. Meanwhile, credit card debt is starting to rise at its fastest since 1999. Um, 2000, recession. 2008, recession. Um, COVID happened so fast and, and so much money was printed, we didn't really have time to like be in a recessionary period because we actually turned the money printer on and it was, it was complete burr mode. But things like this, like, look, all these indicators are lagging, right? Like we're looking at current data that's marked by previous events that's gotten us to this current point. And so when I look at something like this, this is indicative of, of household recession, right? So like the GDP may not reflect it, the unemployment, like we'll get to unemployment in a second because I got a big problem with that. But uh, this is frightening to me because this, like this does to me signal um, recession, right? Like personal, personal savings, is uh absolutely you know tanking comparative to the levels of 2007 um and so to me there are there are a lot of things that are indicating that we are headed that direction or, or that we're already there excuse me mm -hmm. yeah that uh that credit the credit expansion and the collapse of savings is is not good for the stability of the households for sure 
Um, I think a lot of people that didn't get in to mortgages when they were really low are going to be flailing for a good while. Uh, I'm interested to see how the, the Fed approaches this because, you know, recessions are supposed to be important but it's not like a like important for the health of the economy but they're not really targeted they really kind of impact people that are already not doing good like lower class like the lower class <laughs> like if you don't already have a lot of money right. um it's kind of unfair but it's just how our fucked up system works you know like they want to they want to pull out these uh they they want to destroy these non-productive segments of the economy, but what really is going to happen is that uh, people, just everyday people, are going to suffer. Absolutely, and 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 to to take out a loan, if you know, if you're, like if your lease is expiring, and your you know your original lease interest rate was two and a half percent, like three percent, three and a half percent, and now it could be seven, so your lease payment can double. Uh, if you go to buy a house right now, my family is actually selling a house right now, like. Anybody who's going to buy that house is is going to pay double the the mortgage rate than they would have paid unless they're paying with cash, uh, than what we would have seen, you know, literally nine to nine to ten to eleven months ago. So, so yeah, mm-hmm. so you know, we're definitely headed that direction. This this credit to debt ratio uh, of the individual consumer is a problem, and I also think it's a problem for the crypto markets in general. If if you're if you're living off credit, you don't exactly have uh, expansionary you know income to to go yeet into a very very volatile asset. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that is, um, you know, something that we're going to have to fight through. Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, I don't know what the, I, I, we have to pull up like Bloomberg terminal to figure out like what the global credit market looks like in terms of credit to debt. I assume it's a similar picture would be my guess. Um, but yeah, the biggest, you know, the biggest jump in credit since we've seen since like in people using credit, uh, or, or running, racking up credit since 1999. So definitely, um, definitely something to keep an eye on and, and sort of a, a you know, a, a frightening time in terms of recessionary, uh, elements that, that we can point to. And, um, the, you know, look, the fed only has so many tools, right? What are they going to do? They they can they can raise interest rates further. They can keep them there for a while, uh, and that's further gonna you know that that's further gonna create credit crunch uh, you know at least domestically here, and the global economy seems to be following um, you know following along with the exception of China. So I think that another twenty five basis point hike is coming, uh, and that's you know it's it's indicative and and it's amazing how quickly that this sentiment of of hike or no hike shifts because if you remember literally. Uh, last week, like on Monday, uh, this was this was either 60-40 or 50-50 to, to, to pause or no hike. Now it's 70-30 to a hike. So at some point, they're going to have to uh, look at the damage being done uh, on the household level and say, how much further can we can we take this? And uh, the fight against inflation is not uh, it, it's not it's not going great. Uh, I mean, th- you know, we've seen. Um, you know, we've seen everything slow down in terms of inflation, but like, I feel like there's gotta be another hike coming. Yeah. I mean, another hike makes sense. Uh, he wasn't extremely dovish last time he spoke. I mean, he was kind of Powell, but it, yeah. it wasn't like he's sticking to his mandate. He's got his mandate and he's sticking to it. Yep. Yep. So, you know, so for me, like, how do I, you know, what, what does this mean for me? I mean, you know, Nick kind of said it on across the chains on Friday, like for the first time, Kind of for the first time in the history of what I've been doing with crypto, I've actually been allocating more to Bitcoin with the idea that you could you could probably uh, expect better moves in Bitcoin than than the alt market until things start to turn around. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the first time I've ever treated it that way. Like generally, my thought process on 
on bull runs is is you know make make money don't round trip it first of all don't don't let it go all the way up do nothing sell nothing in the back of the bottom but take your money take any profits that you make and roll a percentage of them into bitcoin so you can have a long-term holding you know if there's only I don't know what the exact number is, but if there's only 17 point something million to 19 million of these things, if you even hold one, then in 10 years, you're in a pretty unique spot. And so, you know, for the first time, I have actually sort of deviated from that strategy of I'm waiting exactly for the altcoin market to rally uh, to allocating a bit more into Bitcoin to potentially roll into alts for a later date. So a, a different type of strategy. Yeah, growing that Bitcoin position. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, man. So I think uh, just you know, uh, on on a larger level, uh, we probably do see another rate hike here. I do think we're entering recession territory. Uh, and then the last thing I wanted to say was I, I got a big problem with the unemployment number statistic because of what happened during COVID. Like I lived in Los Angeles during COVID. It was lockdown, complete lockdown for eleven months. There was not a restaurant open. There was not a bar open. There was not anything open, uh, and you know, very very few things were open. And so nobody worked. And so, you know, like there were stimulus checks handed out. So um, I, I, I guess the question that I have is like the numbers feel artificial because of that. Like like if your gauge is, is historical values of unemployment, well, the unemployment like was going to be increasingly high because nobody was going to work. Mm -hmm. So it's like I just have such a problem with that. Uh, like if that's the a key indicator of the Fed, I just have, I have a hard time justifying rate hikes based based off that and instead of purely off of inflation because of what we saw during covid so yeah i mean uh my two cents on that it's important to keep in mind that they they're primarily looking at pce like the producer costs whatever expenditure um yeah producer consumer whatever <laughs> expenditures producer yeah they're going to see how much money how much it costs producers to 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 produce products and sell them yep. but um the unemployment numbers have like always kind of been like a like a wink thing like in that they only count people that are actively looking for work so let's say you you you're just start collecting unemployment right and you're just kind of sitting you're just chilling they don't count you as uh as unemployed anymore you're right. you have to be like actively looking for them yep. to count you in the statistic yeah. So, so yeah, that's just my own personal feeling on the number. Uh, and, and I don't, I don't love it. And I don't love the fact that like the historical reference of it, uh, is against like the biggest pandemic and, and, and one of the strangest times in the, in like the history of like human macroeconomics that we've lived through. Uh, so anyway, we'll leave that there. Uh, again, my strategy for now is actually allocating a little bit more into Bitcoin than I ever have. Um, thinking that if we can continue, you know, if recessionary periods continue, the, the dollar loses strength that Bitcoin is going to benefit the most. If you can pull some of those profits out of Bitcoin into altcoins at the right time, which is dependent on Bitcoin dominance, then you can do really well. Uh, and so just sitting in alts and letting them bleed against Bitcoin is certainly one strategy, but it's probably not the one that I would implore in this current market. Uh, so that's, 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 that's where I am there. So you, you want to switch to some, uh, some more cheery things to yeah, stimmy checks of, of the crypto ecosystem. Yeah, I'm getting bummed out too early in the day. Let's see what's going on. <laughs> I think you know, look, like it's it's an honest conversation, and, and like again, have a plan, and uh, and and certainly if it involves Bitcoin, you know, I feel like there's too many people that think, well, I'm not going to make, you know, I, I can't a thousand x of Bitcoin, but it doesn't mean you can't pull out a few thousand dollars to put into alts to find the next, you know, hundred x or fifty x or ten x or whatever, and a lot of that comes from airdrops. Uh, and you know, there's a ton of people that do airdrop hunting. I think that the, 
the bear market is an amazing time to do airdrop hunting because what else are you going to do, right? A lot of, a lot of things are, are not, um, you know, if you're setting yourself up for future holdings that you didn't have to do much to get besides go utilize an ecosystem, um, you know, this is certainly one way to do that. And we don't really, we haven't talked about airdrops much on this, on this show. Uh, mm -hmm. you can, you can thousand X leverage, sir. Uh, yeah, you certainly can. Uh, I wouldn't, that's, that wouldn't be my trading strategy, but you definitely could do that, uh, at the helm. Um, so yeah, man, I, I just wanted to like, let's have a, let's have a philosophical conversation about airdrops. So like, is this something that you've ever, um, implored in, into your like crypto strategy? So the few airdrops that I've actually tried to hunt, I didn't do too well uh, because I always got them on them late. Um, so I think the, the the strategy for airdrops, in my experience, is to uh, find like ecosystems that like don't have something already out, um, but are interesting, like early. For instance, yeah. the, the Shimmer one, I didn't get the Shimmer airdrop, but that was because I was like six months too late. I did get another airdrop for something on the network, but... That, that was on uh, you for not staking whatever iota you were sitting on. Yeah, see, that's the thing. So you, you have to start engaging with these things like really early on. Um, yeah. you, you don't want to wait for the announcement and you kind of just have to expect that they're going to do it because it is like the most common method of distributing the, the token effectively. And it makes sense, you know? Yeah give it to yeah. people that use your project so i mean you, you said two things there that i think that we can chat through one getting in too late and two um uh i don't know i, I forgot what the other thing was but but getting it like <laughs> I, oh, 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 oh the growth of the network so getting in too late is one thing the growth of the network is the other um you know it's I, it's not necessarily about to me like yes getting early is great because you can actually like the bigger benefit is learning the network. Like if yeah. you believe it's going to be a good network, then you can get over there and understand the, you know, the dApps that are coming on or are already there. And then when new things come out, you can continue to utilize, uh, you know, additional good apps that are, are, you know, coming to whatever ecosystem you want. Right. So that's, that's a big piece of it to me, but really it's about volume. So like, if you're going to, if you're going to airdrop hunt, it needs to be a percentage of your portfolio. Like you have, like, it is about how much money did you bring to that ecosystem and then utilize across different applications, right? And so if you're gonna do this, you gotta have a strategy behind it. Meaning, like, you know, if you've if you're working with, I don't know, 20 grand, then you want, you know, you may want to take five or uh, excuse me, 25% of your pro, 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 portfolio Mondays <laughs> uh and and put them over onto another uh chain, knowing that you've got 25% of your portfolio allocated there to have enough size to make the airdrop worth your time. Mm -hmm. that's that's the way that i think about it yeah no for sure that's definitely the way you have to so when we say like use it you actually have to use it <laughs> you have to go and you have to like in a significant size use it otherwise you're going to get what like a penny or two um, yeah which doesn't really make it worth your while if you're more comfortable in a different ecosystem yeah and, and you have to have conviction that that ecosystem is going to uh probably flourish the way that you think it will like like there was a lot of like you had a you had a ton of time with with optimism and arbitrum because you could see uh sort of how well they were doing overall you know when, when you look at this list which is just you know a list of potentials um you know which ones stand out to you so zk sync and starknet are the two that i'm most familiar with so those are the two that stand out to me i heard a bit about sui and scroll from our chat um but i haven't looked into them too much uh, yeah, yeah. 
I think we need to do like an airdrop series on this, not just in this show, but at BlockBytes mm-hmm. in general, because, and, and CryptoBean makes a great point. Be careful of airdrop scams. Here's yeah. the deal. I don't click on a single, like I get tagged literally every single morning on my personal account and some type of airdrop, whatever. Click this link to be whitelisted to the X, Y, and Z. Like don't do, don't ever do that. Don't click yeah, them. Never do that. Yeah. Don't interact with them. Do not do anything like that. The only, the only way that you should be considering airdrops is by getting to the chain and utilizing the dApps that are there. And that's a hundred percent. You should be using like, you really should, I would hesitate to say like airdrop hunting is even the right word for it. Like right. you shouldn't be like, you should hunt it in the sense that you notice that there's a network or a project that doesn't have a token yet, but has right. promise. Yes. That's what you want to do. You want to get into something that doesn't have a token. It's like getting into micro caps. Like you want to see something that has potential, but isn't fully developed yet. That's the idea. Yep. You, no, no guy on Twitter is going to be like, here sign up i'm gonna give you free money it's like the classic stupid scam <laughs> yeah 100 like crypto being again with bringing the heat today it will never be a whitelist like <laughs> just that is like that is so absolutely key like i I, re- I remove myself from the tweets that come out uh because i do not want any of our audience or anybody here to think that like i'm actually tagged in this for a legitimate reason i'm not um so Agree with you, Corval. It's it's not airdrop hunting; it's airdrop conviction. And it's like, where where do you where do you think that the next, uh, you know, potentially large narrative is going to roll in terms of if I get an airdrop, it's going to be valuable. And so maybe this is the start of us getting into like some type of like if you want to use this network, like we'll do some deep dive uh, conviction on what you know what network to start with. Um, and so you know, I, I for me personally, and and the and the only reason, and I'll be very transparent, the only reason that I have started to do this with this particular network is because of the um, because of the Twitter spaces we had with them. Uh, but after speaking to the Starkware team and understanding what they're building in Starknet, it actually I was like, wow, two things. One, the layer two narrative is super super strong going into you know, the back half of this year in 2024 in terms of layer twos being the settlement for Ethereum main chain. So that's that's one thing that completely stood out to me. And the, and the other thing is like this team has been building uh, since 2018 and has done more transactions in terms of layer two settlement. Uh, despite not having massive TVL, they've they've settled more transactions than really any other layer two network out there. And so like that to me gives me conviction that this is something I would like to potentially explore. And so this is one that uh, that I think we can probably pick off the list and we could do a running series of this stuff uh, over the next couple, you know, couple of months. Uh, but this is a this is one for me after and if you if you haven't like listened to this we went very 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 deep into uh their mission why does ethereum need layer twos the tech with with zk proofs and validity proofs uh stark x stark net all that stuff um and so you know definitely you can go check it out we'll put we'll drop the link in the bio but this is one that i would like to start on in terms of potential airdrop how to do it i think it'd be a, a fun series yeah, I think so. It makes the most sense for us because we've already got kind of the groundwork. Um, and again, like I always do, I kind of am interested, though, to hear on Twitter or the Discord or whatever from our viewers, like, sell me on it. Sell me on the ones that you that you think are good, too. Uh, maybe we can talk about them. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like if there's things that you are, like we say it all the time, if there's things that you're particularly interested in, let us know what it is. Uh, but for me, um, the layer two narrative is strong enough that this is something I can actually have conviction behind uh, and something that I am interested in, in learning more about. Um, and, you know, like the challenges are that not every network is is exactly the same as what we're used to using, right? Yeah. So like, um, you know, what I mean by that is like, you you can't, like for instance you can't use metamask with starknet mm -hmm. and so for for you know how many people does that exclude from even going there in the first place if you don't know that that is the case and so like that's where i think having a series on this kind of stuff could be pretty interesting and impactful yeah uh, there's a lot to learn uh to to interact with some of these right now because they're not fully deployed yet but eventually when those barriers to entry come down you'd expect massive inflows to follow as well yeah, well, I mean, in this case, hard road, you know. Well, in this case, it's actually written in Cairo programming language, so it's written in something other than uh, Solidity. So the MetaMask um, compatibility is a little bit different, and so uh, you know, just to start, like you know, these folks again, you, you talked about being early. Like, if you look at Starknet, uh, you know, six million dollars in TVL, like that's not that doesn't scream conviction, right? But mm -hmm. if you believe in the layer two narrative and what the ecosystem is building, then to your point, this is very, very early, uh, and so. Um, in terms of challenges, you know, we talked about, or I just mentioned, um, writing in Cairo, like you actually need the Bravos wallet to get onto StarkNet. So there's a lot of things when you're talking about airdrops and, and again, not clicking whitelist for airdrops, but actually getting to a network and using them uh, that you need to know. And so I think this could be a fun thing for us to do. Um, and I think if, you know, if there's, for the folks that are watching, uh, hit the like button. We appreciate it. But uh, also let us know, like, hey, if we did a series on this stuff, what would you like to like? Which ones would you like to see? Because I think it'd be a fun, fun way to, for us to spend time on the daily show uh, and also a fun thing to roll out in terms of DeFi tutorials for you guys, uh, particularly when there's use cases like this that you can't just use MetaMask uh, and what bridge do you use and all kinds of things like that. Yeah. What do you think, bro? No, yeah, I think it's a good uh, value add because it is a lot of, it's like obtuse. It's like hard to get to to a lot of these chains, like yep. having to download another wallet, having to use specific bridges. Those barriers to entry, um, over time, you expect them to get kind of smoothed out. But because they're there, it makes it kind of worthwhile to get there, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like you being an early adopter. there It makes it difficult to be an earlier adopter, but that's kind of the point. Yeah. So, so I think, so this is something we're going to do guys. We're going to roll out a, a, a series of like how to bridge, how to get there. Some of the apps that are on these different, uh, you know, on these different potential promising airdrop chains. So, uh, you know, tweet at me, tweet at us, comment on videos, you know, leave it in the comments here on this actual show uh, of, of things you'd like to see, but we'll, we'll start, I think with, with, uh, with Starknet and, uh, and we'll go from there. And I think it'd be a fun way to do this. So, Lefty, uh, about MetaMask is awful. Um, agreed. It uh, definitely has its challenges. It's just the most widely adopted. Uh, the Rabi IO wallet is actually kind of a breath of fresh air. Um, it's made by DBank. And so if you want to check that out, I would highly recommend it. Um, it basically, I saw it put really well by Juan from the Phantom Foundation. It's like the first time you use ChatGPT to analyze an article, uh, you realize what you've been missing uh, on MetaMask versus Rabi. I thought that was a pretty funny... Uh, Pretty funny way to, to put it. Hell yeah, dude. <clears throat> so yeah, so definitely, definitely uh, potentially go check that out. 
so yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna we are going to start that series. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Again, let us know what you'd like to see. Uh, but there is a lot of potential in the bear market to spend your time doing this. Um, and if I'm going to do it, then I'm going to allocate a, a small percentage of my portfolio, which will be enough to potentially uh, make it worth your time. Uh, and we will lay out the safe ways to get there uh, and, and what you need to know. So look out for that. We'll start here and then we will we'll have additional chats and episodes about other uh, other places that we may go here. So um, speaking of airdrops. You want to talk about the Arbitrum, uh, the Arbitrum uh, AIP drama for two minutes? Yeah, hit me with it, dude. Give me the context. So yeah, so we you know we we talked about the Arbitrum airdrop. Uh, actually, how to you know how to get your tokens on a couple weeks ago, and then AIP. Um, you know, the first AIP came out in which they were going to migrate um, a a large percentage of tokens to. Let me find the right screen share here. Uh, so in the perspectives, it was clear that in the DAO would receive 42.78% of token supply. Um, they basically put out an AIP that uh, the foundation was going to receive a billion a billion dollars in tokens if the proposal passed. Uh, and a certain percentage of that they were going to sell into USDC as part of like basically just having money to operate, right? But it was it wasn't an AIP in, in, in terms of choice. It was sort of a foregone conclusion. Like they put this AIP out as if it was a DAO vote, but like they'd already, they'd already made this happen. Uh, and so it certainly riled the community and was not, uh, not very well received, I don't think. And so there's a new AIP 1.05, which would return 700 million ARB tokens to the treasury, uh, to the DAO treasury. Um, and, you know, is this something that, that the community wanted them to do? And so, you know, it was basically taking the first AIP one and then walking it back and then having more like segmented versions of each one to see what the community would like to do. Uh, so, you know, I, I guess like, interestingly, there's been overwhelming majority voting against us saying, look, what you did was fine. Uh, even though we didn't like the way that it went down, you know, we understand that the Dow needs, needs money to operate. Uh, and so, you know, like, did like, what is your what's what's your take on this? Like, obviously, DAOs are not perfect, um, but like, did you you know, did you have time to look into this over the weekend? Um, I actually didn't get that much time to look into this one. I was mainly looking at the sushi swap thing, but it's just pretty funny to me because it's like, it's it reminds me of like Congress or whatever, right? You just bounce around the same topic. I mean, it'd be interesting if there was another proposal after this, <laughs> uh, just to get even more in the nitty gritty. Well, there oh, will be. Like, there will be. Yeah, so we're in support of AIP 1.1 and 1.2 as proposed. Like, I'm assuming those would be like, what are we actually going to do with the tokens mm -hmm. that have then been allocated to, uh, to, you know, from the foundation to the DAO? Uh, but it's just, it's, you know, you know what's interesting to me? Uh, if you look at the against. So we talk about decentralization oh, and the importance of, of decentralization, right? Mm -hmm. Well, how decentralized is a vote where, let's see how many total votes there were. 35 million against 22 million four well 14 million so so 18.8 million of the 35 million came from two people uh and so what does that scream to you in terms of decentralization yeah that one guy controls what like a quarter of all the voting power that's kind of cool yeah i mean <laughs> is like that the in, foundation just voting with the 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 amount they were allocated <laughs> that 
is a good question actually i don't i don't know i do know chain link god because he's all over ethereum and he's a massive ethereum maxi and has been you know he's he actually if you follow him on twitter he's got a ton of good ethereum information in general but clearly the dude was doing a lot of things on arbitrum uh well before i mean unless he just went out and market bought or otc'd all of those tokens i don't know either he was a huge airdrop beneficiary or he market bought or otc'd i don't know my point is like how decentralized is this stuff really man and like if, we, if you watched AGC on friday um, we, we had, there was a segment about the, sort of the risk management, um, risk, uh, what was the actual, um, study called the U S U S department of treasury DeFi risk assessment. And one of the key takeaways from that was that DeFi isn't nearly as decentralized as people think. And mm -hmm. when we talk about DAOs, they're particularly not as decentralized as people think. And I think things like this are, are negative proof points to that fact. Uh, and so this was, that was something that really, really jumped out at me here. Yeah, I mean, if you you only have to dig into things a little bit. If you've been paying attention, like pretty much no DAO is as decentralized as they build themselves. They're all working towards it, is what they say. Um, and it makes sense. Like you can't really like delegate when you're building something. You can't really just delegate all of it to the crowd. It takes a while to get to that point. But they do kind of use this like agus of we're decentralized, but they're not it's just like a dream we'd like to be decentralized on yeah. paper we'd be decentralized you know i mean i, I don't know how you uh I, I don't have a great like i don't have a silver silver bullet fix to something like that particularly when there's tokens that were airdropped because you know people whales who are moving you know there's 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 over you know there's billions of dollars on arbitrum it didn't just get there by chance people people brought that money it came from somewhere and so if you're a whale and you've been there for a while and then you air, you know airdrop tokens accordingly based on uh sort of propor proportional percentage of what you bring to the network that's gonna you know that's gonna impact decentralization so fascinating to keep up with uh interesting they walked it back and they still voted no is the no decentralized and actually representative of what everybody wants hard to say uh, so I think we can leave that one there, dude. And, and you said you mentioned you were heavy on the sushi swap hack over the weekend. Uh, why don't you give some context there? Yeah, so I was talking to some devs about this. Um, basically, I mean, OXNGMI has a great tweet uh, where he explains how the Uniswap V3 pools tell the router how much to send them from the user's wallet to complete the swap. So a router must verify that it's a Uniswap pool. However, Sushi's router didn't check that, so it was possible to create a fake uni pool and request other people's money. Um, you can pull that up. So I don't have it. This was discovered, though, by a guy named Trust, who is a uh, he's a judge at, let me see, what's it called again? So something so something wild happened here, guys. Like, this isn't, like, I didn't know this until this morning when Corval told me about what, how this sort of actually all transpired. And it's not just like, in, you know, generally there's just someone who comes in, finds a vulnerability and boom, mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's not what happened here. And this is, this was, yeah. this is freaking crazy to me. So, so this guy trust, he's a white hack, white hat guy. He's a security guy. Uh, he's a judge on code for arena. Um, so he's really used to looking at exploits and, and like examining contracts, but it seems like what happened was, uh, he messaged the sushi tween, the tween, <laughs> the sushi tween and told them uh, about the vulnerability um, and he didn't get a response fast enough. So he thought, well, I'll just like white hack this now because it's active on the front end to try and like mitigate this. But because he's kind of inexperienced on working on live things, he didn't 
expect the MEV bots to be as fast and other exploiters to be as fast. So when he tried to, you know, do his white hat exploit, a bunch of other people jumped in and exploited it uh, before him, like front running it. And uh, <laughs> this resulted in uh, Sifu losing what, like three million worth of ETH. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So let me, let me, let me like reverse that engineer back to you. Mm -hmm. So, uh, no good deed goes unpunished, I guess is, is probably mm -hmm. the saying. So, so basically what you're telling me is there was a white hat who found vulnerability, told the team about it, exposed it himself to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. But because, uh, because bots are so fast to pick up on vulnerabilities, like, especially when they're exposed, like, 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 was this, like, how did this go down? Was it on like, on like, was there, like, how did the people see what he was doing just from block explorer? Yeah, that's my understanding okay. is that people were just looking at on-chain data and saw what was going on and just beat him to the punch. Good Lord. So yeah, so basically the dude is trying to help out and and it completely backfires on Sushi uh, and people start to, to uh, replicate that same exploit. Um, how about the irony of it being Sifu, who was the one who lost funds? Yeah, the funds are Sifu, right? They are Sifu. I mean, like... Uh, for those of you who who don't draw the connection, Sifu was the treasury manager of Wonderland DAO, which was Time, uh, going back to the Danny Sesta days. Um, and, you know, Time blew up effectively when people found out that Sifu was, uh, had a checkered past of fraudulent history, and it absolutely just blew up Time as a protocol. Um, and so he was, you know, arguably, quote-unquote, responsible. You know, I would say it wasn't, it wasn't really him per se, but, like, he had a hand in time's downfall, and so it is, it is ironic that he was the one uh, sort of exploited from this from this hack. Uh, but what what a way for this to go down! Like, I, I had I actually had no idea that was the case, and that is crazy, man. Yeah, I, uh, also quick on this, I, I really want to bring up the point that like uh, the vulnerability only seems to affect people that have interacted with Sushi in the last four days. Yes. So if you haven't, you're fine. But if you have, you need to revoke your approvals through right. the block explorer that you uh on the chain that you were using because this yes. is a cross-chain exploit yes yes thank you so that that is that is, that was the piece i forgot that might be the mm -hmm. most important piece of, of this entire conversation so uh i think i exited out on accident of the article that said uh oh no i didn't here you go sushi swap sushi swap hacked head chief says which is jared revoke all chains um, and so in the very beginning of all this, you asked about revoking chains. If you go to BlockBytes YouTube and go down to DeFi tutorials uh, and, and look here, how to revoke smart contracts approvals on any chain, any network. Uh, this was three months ago. It didn't get nearly as much. Oh, there's, there's Austin's beautiful face. It didn't get nearly as much love as it should. Uh, but go watch this. And, and this isn't just, hey, SushiSwap got hacked. Uh, let's go do this now. This is a let's go in and spend literally two hours going through everything we've ever approved and revoke them all. Like there's no reason to have open, like go through all your wallets. There's no reason to have open uh, approved contracts at max you know, on MetaMask when, when it asks you your limit. You may set one, you may not. You may just use default, which means infinite things can be siphoned out of your wallet. Go revoke everything. So go to our YouTube, check out on DeFi tutorials, uh, how to revoke smart contract approvals on any network. Uh, it is pretty pretty easy to find uh, as it's still on the main page. Uh, but this is definitely something I would recommend. This is a best practice for, for OPSEC, for security. Uh, if you're not using a ledger, use one. Step two, do that.
Yeah, that's a good just common practice to routinely revoke all your uh, approvals just in case something happens. Um, and to John Stepp's question, does this affect this exploit affect Spooky or Trader Joe as well? Um, it shouldn't. It shouldn't expect uh, affect them. This was a Sushi Swap V3 thing, so yep. those are not uh, forks but, of that. So but there is. So I mean, is. Something I have to look like Sushi Swap is deployed on Phantom. I don't know if it is, but I do see a Phantom contract in here affected. So it could be a liquidity pool on Phantom. I don't know. We, we don't have necessarily time to dig in to this exact smart contract. Uh, but the point is, like, go, go, just, just generally best practice. Just go watch the video that we just showed you and go revoke everything. Like, there's just yeah. no reason to have open, open max approved max uh quantity or of like tokens able to be withdrawn from your wallets it's just not worth it yeah fair point the cost to revoke is nothing so why not just do it yep all right last last piece and then i think we can probably close out the daily show for today but like mm -hmm. could this come at a worse time like like you know again spend time with jared in miami um really good guy trying to do the right thing in terms of getting sushi back to, to sort of its peak to back to where it was, um, you know, at the height of, of DeFi summer and, and going sort of going into 2021 uh, when AMMs, you know, made DeFi. Uh, they are currently, if you had forgotten, gotten a subpoena from the SEC. Um, not, we don't know the facts of the case. It's the subpoena. It's about information. Jared has come out publicly and said, you know, he's given some details on his own personal Twitter as to, you know, what's going on. Uh, I don't have it pulled up, but, you know, in terms of that DeFi risk assessment from the U.S. Treasury, like you're in active conversations with the SEC and then you get a hack. Like, I just feel, I feel terrible for Jared. I feel terrible for, for Sushi, but like it's, you know, could it come for a worse time or at a worse time for the, for the crypto industry? Uh, probably not. <laughs> I, I think he, Jared is probably having a really, really, really bad week. <laughs> I'll say that a bad couple weeks. Um, yeah, this is uh, not a good time for the industry at all. And it's tough. I imagine, uh, I saw some, some haters saying that, uh, Jared is not the leader when there's a, an SEC call, but he is the leader when there's an exploit. Uh, it seems like an unfair characterization to me, but uh, that could cause some problems for him. Uh, I think this is kind of the things they would be looking for, like who's taking responsibility for different actions. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we should be any way we can support sushi. We probably should. Yeah. I mean, it just, it just makes people's life harder. And, and on, mm -hmm. on across the chains, Nick made a good point uh, that, you know, we don't, we haven't done ourselves a lot of favors in this, in this industry. And, this is the perfect case of, of, as I said a second ago, no, no good deed goes unpunished. Like the white hat was trying to help and it actually made things worse. Uh, and yes, everybody signed up for Coinbase 435. So you can actually get alerts on how we can help these space. But this is the sort of stuff that like, man, um, you know, as, as builders, you know, I think that we've got to slow down and, and, and make sure that things that we're rolling out are, are very well vulnerability tested. And, and look, these guys had an audit. Like Peck Shield looked into these smart contracts. So, um, you know, I don't, I'm not sure exactly what else could be done, but like, it's just, it's just like, it's just, it just feels like it's been compounding for a while now. Um, and it's tough. Yeah. It's just been fucking shit piling up, bro. We got to <laughs> hope that it, it's, uh, we get a break here soon. Yeah.
Yeah. So, look, as always, Block Bites will stay on top of the latest. Uh, we did reach out to Jared to, to ask if he'd like to come on the show. Um, would love to have him on. And, you know, and then again, he, he's in a tough scenario, I'm assuming. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, when there's an active subpoena going on, how much you're able, able to say publicly. Uh, but would love to, to have Jared on. As I said, he's a very, very good guy. Um, and obviously, this doesn't make things any easier. Uh, you know, the other piece I would, I would, I just want to reiterate before we get the heck out of here and, uh, and we do this all again tomorrow is, is go over to the block whites, Twitter, like we or not Twitter, excuse me, uh, YouTube. We try to put out as many helpful things as we can for the community guys. We want to, you know, we want to put out whatever videos are going to help, you know, make you better, smarter, and more equipped and adequate in DeFi. Here's a video on how to revoke smart contract approvals on, uh, any network, that came out three months ago. It's only got 637 views. It should have thousands because everyone across the space should know about this and how to do it. So definitely go take, go check that out. Um, Austin, as always, does an amazing job of making things very easy to understand. Uh, he just had a baby, and the baby has just come home yesterday. So if you're wondering, where the hell is Austin? Why do I get so much clay and Corval? That's why. Uh, he will eventually get back, uh, and we are excited to have him back as well. So, uh, yeah, dude, anything else you want to add? No, I uh, just said it was a great show. I'm glad everyone showed up again. Uh, helps me start my week off right. I love these Monday shows. Yeah, man. It's uh, it's always fun, and, and it keeps me from getting too hungover on the weekends because you can't, <laughs> you can't do this in, in that state. So you guys I hope are everybody Clay support had... system. Remember, What's <laughs> show that? up on Monday. You guys are Clay support system. <laughs> yeah, this is this is my AA mm-hmm. uh, in terms of uh, of my weekend activities. Uh, but yeah, man, absolutely great news for Austin. Uh, you know, tweet at him, tell him congratulations. I think he put out a post about the baby coming home. So super exciting. Uh, listen, every day, live at noon, daily show, spread the word. One of these days, let's get 100 people here at once. Uh, let's keep growing this thing. We appreciate all of you. Uh, shout out to the community who shows up every single day and does this with us. You're the real heroes. Uh, Corval, I don't know what temple you're in, but I freaking like it. And uh, <laughs> Thanks, man. And I'm excited to see where you end up tomorrow. Uh, that is always good. Win Corval coin. What are we going to do with it? That's the real question. Uh, and without further time, ado, my friend. what's that? <laughs> I said all good things in time, my friend. That's right. That's right. Rome wasn't built in a day. We're gonna we're gonna find a way to have a Corval coin and get some community utility without it actually having any price because uh, we ain't messing with the SEC. So yeah, anyway, right. we're gonna get the hell out of here. Thank you so much for showing up. See you tomorrow at noon. Uh, If there's anything else you need, tweet at us, let us know, and uh, we will catch you on the next one. See y'all.